The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. How are you guys doing? Right. Not bad. I'm a little not quite as tired as I usually am. Well, that's a good thing. I'm exhausted, but it's been craziness with work, so. Um, on the hyperspace frequencies with us, we have author. Is author the right word to use? Author's good. Usually when I'm writing about it, I say creator, creator of the book. I, that was my next step. Creator. And that voice you just heard is Sean Jackson, creator Hello. of Star Wars Mazes. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. So um, a little behind the scenes for because we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. Whenever we bring in creators of books, authors of books, whether it's here, Mighty Marvel Geeks, Weeby Geeks, a lot of times we have to send off questions for approval because <laughs> that's the way Disney, Lucasfilm, Marvel Studios tends to be. They're very tight because who knows what direction things can go question-wise. Well, no, that's not what I want to say. Certain specific questions could go down or could lead into speculation that the companies don't want. So even though we're going to do our normal interview process, very conversational, which we love doing, uh, we do have some prepared questions and we're going to turn these into as conversational as we can get. Uh, so I'm going to just start off with the first one. How did this project come about? Excuse me. This project came about. This is my um, second book, and my editor for my first book is also with Chronicle, the publisher. He basically called me up in March of 2019 and said, how do you feel about Star Wars? Do you like Star Wars? And I was like, yes. Yes, I do. Would you like to make a book? Yes. 
Yes, I would. That was him, and he was getting ready to pitch because Chronicle works with Lucasfilm, and they do a couple of books with them each year. And he was pitching to his his friends over at Lucasfilm to say, uh, "Hey, this guy does mazes; they're really cool. You should check it out." And uh, he was going to walk over there the next day, carry my book, and uh, do that. He came back and said, maybe I should work one up. So that's how I did the Moss Eisley one, or at least I started with the original Moss Eisley one um, in March. You know, sketched it out, sent it over. They liked it. But didn't really hear back for sure it's going to be a thing until October of that year. So all summer I was kind of thinking, this will be neat. This will be a fun, a fun project. And just doing a little more investigating about, you know, looking closer at the movies than I had for a long time. But that's that's how it began. So you said you you sketched one up. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to sketch one up compared to how long it takes you to actually do one that's going in the book? Usually when I sketch them, I'll sketch them out in pencil first. You know, I'll have my idea of what, you know, what map I'm going to do. And I'll just start drawing. And if there's things I definitely want in it, I'll like map them out where they need to be and draw a maze around it. So, it, like, for the Moss Eisley one, I didn't really know where to start other than I wanted to look like Moss Eisley. You know, the round buildings, took a bunch of screenshots. Okay, they got those igloo-shaped buildings and, you know, sort of understanding sort of the concrete and the ways those things fit together. But then adding all the staircases and bridges and stuff that I really enjoy putting in mazes and sort of make them my own thing. Um, that And that was it. So it was like... You know, I just kind of messed around with it because it wasn't really a, a full-on commitment yet, just to, just to show them what I could do. And uh, they really liked the vibe of it. One of the things I did is I just threw in, because there's all the parking bays for the spaceships, and I just made up spaceships in there. And my editor said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> they gotta be they got to be real spaceships. So I, eventually I went back and, like, replaced them with, you know, real cannon ships. But uh, I was like, ah. But other than that, it was, it was really fun. So you're saying the time machine may be in this from Back to the Future? I'm saying there's absolutely no time machines in this. <laughs> every, every it's not anymore. Like, exactly. But it's canon. Every, every, it was there's in- no Waldos in it. There's no Iron Man. No, it's all Star Wars. And it's it's local, something that could be at least on the planet. You know, as as I usually refer to it, it's either canon or it's canon adjacent. It's like could be possibly there. So no Easter eggs that – like the time machine that was thrown into, I think it was uh, Attack of the Clones in the Corsican uh, city scene. Technically, you couldn't have put that in the. No, oh. no. I mean, I guess so if I had known there was like, you know, somebody had actually slipped one in there and I like came across it and Coruscant, like, oh, look, wow, there's the tech, you know, then I might have been able to do it. I don't know, though. I, I think uh, – I mean there's definitely stuff in there for for fans, you know, who might recognize stuff that wouldn't necessarily – not from the movie, but uh, definitely thinks that uh, nothing outside of the Star Wars universe. Okay. So did you have to have each one of those approved or um, – Everything did go through approval. Like so like I was about halfway done, they all went over to uh, the story group. And they they looked through it and they made a couple minor tweaks. Like uh, by the by the sequels, the uh, radar dish on top of the Falcon was rectangular, and they're like, "You got to fix that." I'm like, 
I never okay. noticed that. Like, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, they did make a couple of suggestions, but for the most part, they're really happy with it. And, uh, you know, add a little steam in Navarro, that kind of stuff, but nothing, nothing serious. So you could have said, well, this is a, the Falcon from Rise of Skywalker, so it's back to the circular dish. I'm sure they would have caught it. So, you know, they, they pointed out. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, in Rise of Skywalker, the Falcon's back to the circular dish. It's not rectangular. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the only place I have the Falcon in the sequels is when it's on Octu. So. Okay. Ah, okay. So on Octu, yeah, it would have to be rectangular dish. Yes. Yeah, so going back to how did you get started drawing mazes and stuff? Did you start just regular art in general, or were you always drawing mazes starting as a kid? Starting as a kid, which is just about when I saw Star Wars, um, I started drawing mazes. There were some maze books, 3D maze books at the time that I really liked, and uh, I would just I'd copy them and just play with perspectives and tubes and steps and that kind of stuff. And I just kept doing that throughout, and you know, mostly as doodles, and I have it wasn't doing it every day forever, but uh, but I was definitely doing it up for a while, and then I'd go back and do it a little once in a while. And a few years ago, um, you know, when the coloring books were out, you know, somebody said, "Boy, you should you should show these to somebody because they're cooler than the stuff I'm coloring." And uh, that's when I pitched the first book, and Chronicle picked me up, and uh, and then I really got into the mazes, you know, full on at that point. Do you draw them freehand, or do you do you use um, like rulers and such for the for the actual mazes? Usually, I draw them freehand. Um, sometimes I'll lay down some perspective lines, the ones that need a little more more perspective. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely sketch them all in freehand. And for the book, I will uh, ink them in the computer. So I'll scan them in, do all the black line work in the computer, and then do all the coloring in the computer too. Mm. Sticking on the maze theme, is it difficult to come up with? I, I'm sure you've got, okay, I'm going to draw the, the actual path, mm-hmm. the winning path. Is it difficult then to go back and draw all the different branches without getting too carried away of getting lost in your own maze, so to speak? Um, I really actually draw them from beginning to end and draw all the paths at the same time for the most part. So it's more like a doodle, and I'll just keep track of the winning paths. You know, I'll keep track of the winning path as I go through. Um, this is usually actually how I do it. You know, and then I'll, I'll add different different corners and stuff as I need to. Okay, I never thought of it as like a doodle going across. That's cool. Yeah, I never really thought about how mazes are made. I think different. I think different um, creators do it different ways. Um, but that's definitely the way I do it. And so for like something like the Star Wars book, I where you actually have to have very specific things located so it looks like a place. You know, I'll, I'll sort of do an overview layout. It's like, okay, the Falcon needs to be here and the Iron Cannon needs to be here. And, okay, I'm going to start it over here. We'll have the walkers over there. But everything in between is like I know this whole section is going to be the trenches if this was the Hoth maze. And this whole section is going to be the base and then I'll just that, and then I'll do everything in between. Speaking of hot. music, I'm actually flipping through your blog right now and looking at the um, line sketch compared to the finished image of the Hoth images. Mm-hmm. This is awesome looking. Speaking of Hoth, 
how were the map locales decided? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, for that one, because for Hoth and for most of the, you know, the first, the main Star Wars movies, um, you never really know where the things are in Hoth, at least judging from the movie. It's like this happens in one place and this happens over here and they don't really connect them so well. But the DK books, Hans Jensen has um, in the locations book, they he lays it out really well. And, you know, as I found out, all that stuff is canon, too. And his illustration has a ton of stuff that's not in the movies. And there really wasn't a need to cram all that into the Hoth maze because there's definitely enough material there. But I basically used his reference for the locations. Okay, here's the door. I know I want the Falcon in the middle because that's where the seam of the book is. So it kind of gobbles up a bunch of where the paths cross the seam. We're going to end over here where the transports are. But certainly in the movie, I have no idea where the transports are in the movie compared to everything else. And so that was sort of the base point. You know, I'm sure the Iron Cannon really is somewhere far away, but we wanted to get it in there because it's such an iconic right. image. So how how did you decide what other planets you were going to use for, for the maps? Well, I definitely wanted two maps, uh, two mazes for each movie. You know, we're sticking almost entirely with the films because that's what most people are familiar with. And uh, it was really just my favorite spot, so I got to pick a ball. So, okay. uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think Tim was just saying, okay. And, gotcha. uh, yeah, I'm just listening. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously the the first the first three movies are, are the classics. You know, so there's like at least three from Empire, three from three or four from the first one because there's you know you got the scene of the Java Canyon. Um, you know that first ship is a fairly simple maze. Um, but it gives it, it first of all it locks you into the you know, the movie, and so, but it also teaches a person who hasn't done it before. Okay, the idea of the bridges and how to go over and under and stuff, and then they get more complicated from there. Um, and certainly, everyone's really familiar with those, so we wanted to have a bunch of there. But I wanted to hit all the movies, and they, um, you know, and obviously the Star Wars films have just these great locations. You know, so you can just really dig into anything. So it was just really fun just picking out anything I liked. There was plenty, plenty there to do. Did you have a favorite map? Um, my favorite map? Let's see. I think my favorite one is the Naboo one. That was one of the earlier ones I did. It's um, partly because it's, it's really complicated. It had a lot of stuff going on in it, and it's very similar to the mazes I draw when I'm not doing Star Wars mazes. And uh, and so in doing it, it definitely has that style of kind of um, European buildings and steps and stuff. All of that was already there. And I learned a lot doing that maze, you know, just about about how, how to research Star Wars, you know, taking all the screenshots. Because I think by that point, Disney Plus, it came out and I was like, OK, screenshot, 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 researching the actual locations. They shot a lot of that so I could just grab pictures of the palaces and walkways and stuff. And um and just learned a lot from doing that one that I was able to apply to some of the later, later mazes. And I just think it's, yeah, I just think it's beautiful. I think it's one of my favorites. And I guess sticking along those lines with favorites, uh, you have a lot of Easter eggs within the, the book or, you know, look for this, look for that. What was your favorite Easter egg? Well, I think squeezing the ice cream maker in when I discovered that while I was researching the, um, doing the empire. I was like, Oh, that, that would be cool. And then within a week, you know, uh, 
Mando dropped and he's carrying it around. It's like, okay, that's it. We got to find that. So that's it with <laughs> all the mazes. Uh, because mm-hmm. it, it now it's come up twice and it's okay, this is a fan favorite. This is, this is cool. And that sort of got me on to some of the other cool things you can find. You know, like the, uh, the other one that turns up a lot is the, the device that uh, Ray finds at the beginning of her first movie and she pulls out so that little oscillator thing. And so that oh, shows okay. up in any place where there's like junk or, you know, that's a, a nice thing to find. And then, and then some of the other ones are more generic, just like I was doing the uh, Ewok maze and I started drawing, you know, pots and stuff like, oh, this pot, oh, they use pots everywhere. And so any place that isn't, you know, like an imperial base has this pot in it that you can find or several pots. And then, of course, all the characters you can find, too. They're all sprinkled throughout. Who would have thought cannibals use pots? <laughs> you need a pot for something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really. I mean, yeah. This is true. Didn't it's think about that. Kind of You're talking about um, the Camtono, the ice cream maker, and then that little um, device. And I'm looking through the images on um, Amazon. It has, like, four of the mazes on here, and all four of them have both of those in it. Ah. Yeah, I like the ones they picked up on on Amazon. They're like, there's some some pretty good ones. But uh, yeah. the Android one is really really cool. So I'm gonna have okay. to I'm gonna have to look. Endor. Perspective on it, yeah. The Ewok Village. Oh yeah, that was that one actually because it's so far removed from my usual buildings and stuff was a little tricky to figure out how am I going to make this interesting. And again, there's not a lot. There's only like a couple shots in the movie where you get that yeah. overall feel for it. Um, so it was uh, it was a fun experiment trying you know trying to make it work and but I think it worked you know when I was done I was like okay this is cool yeah it's very much messes with the perspective if you actually watch the trails through here and how it's changing levels and stuff without really noticing it's changing levels and things mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think I'd like to do a, a little how I made it at some point on my blog or somewhere for people who are interested because it did I actually this is one of the ones that I built. I designed looking down on it with layers in mind and then just tilted everything back in perspective. So this is one of the ones I actually was not a doodle. I actually did a little planning for this one. Looking at the different mazes, what was the most challenging? I think the most challenging one for me was the droid factory, the Geonosis factory, um, because – Again, there's very little reference for that one. And even if you look at the DK books, they make it this giant warehousey non-space. Um, but uh, so I had a pretty a lot of freedom for the maze itself. But uh, I really wanted the assembly line to work. I really wanted you to be able to follow the the molten steel through the planks, through the hole. Here are the legs being built. Here are the feet being built. Here they're being assembled all the way through to the final assembly and the painting of the droids. I thought that would be really fun to do. Um, just because you're real rich, scary style. You have something kids are really into. And, of course, I was into it doing it. So, But it was definitely a lot of work figuring out how everything fit together on that one. Derek, and there's a reference. Oh, wow. So, like, in that, in that, I mean, you definitely have when you're introduced to the scene, which is one of the coolest scenes in the movie. I mean, you drop down, you can see the still hot plates, and as our heroes are moving through it. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so they, you know, they, they drop down, and the hot plates are there, and they're, like, get chopped up, and they move through it, and they get molded, and eventually you realize they are the breast plates for the droids. And I was like, okay, then that sort of kind of sparked the whole idea, because then... 
later on, you see the arms and stuff hanging on these racks. And by the end, you see the headless droids getting their heads popped on. It's like, I mean, so all the pieces were there. It was just a matter of like kind of tying it all together and then building the maze around that. So that one. The other hard one was probably Exegol because, um, again, there, there's not a lot of online reference for it. There's not, not a lot of canon for it. The art book has almost no reference for it. So everything has to be from the film for the most part. And uh, again, it's one of those things where you don't really know where all the pieces are. There's one shot, which was so precious to me, where it's like the camera orbits around Ray and you're going from Palpatine over to all the dudes in the gallery. And it's like, okay, that's it. Okay. This is here. That is there. And then that sort of was the groundwork for building the overall layout of that place too. So those are probably the two hardest. All right. Uh, There we go. That's my, my, my mind just goes, Whoa. Mm-hmm. Now, I was that? That's uh, Exegol. Cool. <laughs> it's like one of, the, yeah. one of the other good references is one of the artists uh, who worked on the film actually uploaded some uh, some three D tests of the place. So it was like completely no textures, no lighting, camera moves through the statues, and it was like this is a huge help, you know. So I like snagged those too, and that was sort of like because. Everything's all dark and lightningy in the movie, and it's like, okay, this is, you know, so it gave me a much better idea of where everything could fit, and people wouldn't be like, no, that's not right. So, which is always my big fear for this project. Well, were you able to actually get any um, extra behind the scenes or reference photos or anything from Lucasfilm at all, or was it no. all just stuff you found online? All stuff online. Um, they did uh, give me copies of the DK books. That was really helpful. So I was able to research that. And, of course, in there, they'll have little details of critters and machines. That you, you get like a second of film time. Um, and so that was helpful to add some stuff. But most of it was online. You know, a lot of Wikipedia research. Mm-hmm. A lot of – like even though I've seen all these movies dozens of times, I'm like I'm drawing r 2 detail. I'm like – where does his foot go when he stands up? I've never noticed that before. So I actually have to like <laughs> go look up old lines. Like, oh, there are people who build these things, you know, and there's a whole community out there and you can look at the schematics. Like, okay, that's, that's what's going on there. Even though mine, of course, are like a quarter inch tall or smaller, it's like little tiny. It's just nice to know. Yeah. For, I love how you threw the first order side and the non first order side of Batu. On the front and back covers, on the inside mm-hmm. front and back covers. That was I'm like, okay, I know where this is at, and this is a very nice touch. I really like that. Oh, cool! Thanks. Um, what do you think fans are going to like best about this book? I think, I think part of it is just being able to sit down at your own leisure, just kind of go through it. It's almost like when you're a kid, you can. You really get sucked in. You're like along the path and you're like, oh, yeah, I can imagine myself here in the Death Star. And it's like and even if you're not consciously doing it, you're just sort of like you're being a kid again. You're like, oh, I remember the I remember the Ewoks and the bridges and stuff. And it's and because it's so interactive without pushing you in any way, it's like all your own space. I think people really like that. I think it just brings back a lot of memories for people who aren't really, you know. I think it just brings back brings back memories, but also for fans, they can be like, yeah, this is cool. I see that. You know, I've been there. Very cool. How long does it take you on average to do a maze? Are these do these are these like long processes or does it vary? A lot of it depends on the complexity. 
Um, and some of it depends on the research involved and how detailed they need to be. Um, I would say I, I estimate about 30 hours, maybe, you know, oh, wow. plus maybe small you know, for the smaller ones, maybe less for the big ones, maybe more, but all together, you know, a while, you know, I'll sketch it out over several mm. days. So the larger ones maybe over a longer time, but then if I get bored of sketching, I can always pick and I have inking and other stuff to do or research to do, you know, all the, mm-hmm. all the little people were added pretty much at the end. I had, all, had done all my mazes and then I went back through and drew all the, the characters research and drew them. And they were added later, and I had a lot more control of where to put them and stuff. So that was almost a separate process. So overall, now to, now that we know that permaze, how long did it take to actually for this to actually come together? Um, well, when I got the go ahead in October, I had already kind of like I said, I, I since I wasn't sure, I had already started doing a little bit of research, drawing a couple of mazes. And I figured if it doesn't come together, we'll just it'll be a fan maze, and that's. That'll be that. Um, but it did. And it was great. So uh, the first round, you know, I had to be like halfway or like three quarters of the way done by that. Uh, well, first of all, COVID happened in March. And um, yeah, in May, I had to be 65 percent done. So that was sort of like where I had to have a good chunk that you need to see it was under control. They That's when they did their first look, see, to make sure nothing was weird or wrong. And then everything was done in August. Okay. So that would be August of 2020. And then um, I think like in December and stuff, we were still playing with the cover. But that was it. So, I mean, I have a day job. So it was all all weekends, <laughs> vacations, nights, mornings. Now, with um, I know with the comics, there's a lot of going back and forth with Lucasfilm. Did you have the same type of thing with the mazes where the, each maze had to be approved by Lucasfilm, or was there a little bit more leniency? I felt like there's a lot of leniency. I was the only creator on it, first of all, which is so I wasn't working with a bunch of other people. It's like sort of a, a lone gunman on it. Uh, like I said, everything everything eventually they signed off on, but they were I didn't I didn't go out of the line, so they were happy. Okay. Now we've talked about the Easter eggs and stuff in this, and for anybody who's not um, sure what that was, it's basically it's almost like if you took a bunch of mazes and added a Where's Waldo aspect to this. <laughs> and was that your idea, or did that come from Lucasfilm or Chronicle, or is that something you always have done with your mazes? Um, I've always put like little sculptures and kind of fun things to find. My editor at Chronicle, he was the one who said, "Let's make it a seek and find as well." And let's have let's have stuff to find. So uh, it's like so for every page we uh, we have some stuff, and then in the back of the book for people who love seek and finds, there's like another forty characters and buildings and you know little <laughs> things they can find. So <laughs> and there's of course harder because instead of being somewhere in this maze, it's like somewhere in this book. So you got you got to be really into it there. But it was fun because I got there's all kinds of like other little critters and stuff I could like highlight in that section so it was actually kind of a treat plans for a second book and if so what locations would you want to do i feel like i've done all the great film locations um you know so i think it would be if there were a second book i mean i love some of the locations in mando um and i've been enjoying bad batch bad batch has all kinds of stuff you know one of the things that we didn't get to play with in this book was like some of the 
the, the smaller cities that they're always in in both of those uh, both of those properties where they're these, these kind of scummy little, you know, still have neon, but they're dark and they're all kind right, of bubbles right. or a little industrial. I mean, that that would be fun to do a maze with the um, the water planet uh, Trask, I guess, uh, from Mando. That's cool. I would love to do a maze at that place. So. So maybe a mix of, of the Disney Plus shows and, and Clone Wars. I think Clone Wars, Clone Wars itself could probably be a book on its own. Clone Wars itself could be a book, but I, I confess I have not seen all the Clone Wars episodes. So uh, when, when when Bad Batch just before it started, I was like, okay, everyone's like, you got to get to the Clone Wars, man. It's good stuff. And so I've, I've watched a handful and I've actually gone through and it's like, okay, these are the ones you need to see. So I'm still working my way through that. I was, um, I had a lot of Star Wars by the time I was done with this. I've, uh, I've uh, picked up some of the comics, uh, definitely into Dr. Aphra, but I, I need to go through and go. Do, do the Clone Wars and uh, and then I guess pitch that book back and say, okay, I'm ready to do Clone Wars now, guys. <laughs> well, I got another one that could be really fun. Would be you could almost do an entire book just on Coruscant, where yeah. each locations or levels. And uh, I don't know oh, if you can yeah. with like a li- so the exit from each maze is like a lift that takes takes you to the next page on the next level, and it takes you to oh. the next level and you go to somewhere else. Or do uh, multiple ways out. Each one goes to a different page. It's a different place. That would be cool. That would be you basically could cool. take an entire book. I mean, it would take a lot of planning, but you could do an entire book and it's one giant maze. Depending on where you come out on each page, takes you. It's almost like a um, choose your own adventure maze. Oh, neat! Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I need a writer. I need, I need somebody to like kind of tie all that together for me. But that would be <laughs> that would be fun. That would be epic. <laughs> that would be a little more than a year to take care, to get that one together, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> for first quarter is the Jedi Temple. Yeah, then the Senate really building. Because just my little bit of my little bit of it was was fun. I was like, oh, but I'd like, I want to get the nice stuff and the temple and some of the real under you know lower level stuff would be great. So that that would be perfect. Yeah. Go down through thirteen thirteen. Go up yep. back up to the Senate Senate Rotunda. The Senate Rotunda by itself is a maze. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Great idea. So, so here's my big question for you. What is it that appeals to you about creating these mazes? What drives you to do it? I like cre- – after I draw them, I still go back in and run them all the time. That's why I encourage folks not to draw on the book. Just you know, use your finger or something pointy. Um because it's like kind of exploring because there's like this tension between following the path in that little world and you come around a corner and, oh, there's a cool little planner, you know, and it's just the tiniest little bit of joy of finding something like that or the little bit of joy of like sol- you know, solving the maze. Like, you know, you can, you're coming close to the end. You're like, oh, I'm done. And that's full. That's cool. It's just like it's like the success you feel when you solve Sudoku. It's just like a little bit of a surprise. But with the maze, it's you got this overall picture. You can always zoom, you know, pull out and kind of look at overall, look ahead like a puzzle, or zoom in and get into the world and kind of get lost in there, like any kind of miniature drawing or landscape and stuff. And I think part of jumping in between those two is part of the the fun of doing it. And then, of course, with Star Wars, you got Star Wars too, so that's like right. even more icing. How did you get interested in Star Wars? Star Wars. Uh, well, I was a kid. Uh, 1977, saw it with my folks. So I was uh, 
perfect age. Was it, like I said, it was about the same time I started drawing mazes, so it all kind of tied together. It would have been uh, well, like around 13 for Empire. So I was I was a perfect age for the for the first one. So I was, I'm a old Star Wars fan, but I've definitely enjoyed them. Enjoyed all the films since you know. I mean, I was never a deep, deep fan, but I still was like into it. So I like I played Dark Forces when that came out, that kind of stuff. So if the game was a good video game was out, I play it. Um, you know, enjoyed the prequels; they were pretty cool. Like, and then that's when I had kids. Oh, and just before the prequels was the Star Wars Legos first dropped. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. The two perfect things from my oh, yeah. Star Wars and Legos combined. And like, <laughs> you know, I bought that that tiny little uh, Luke Speeder set and I was like, this is truly the coolest thing ever, you know. Uh, so I was really into that. And uh, yeah, and then I just love everything Disney's done with it since. So it's been, yeah, it's good stuff. What's the chance in a future book a Lego Star Wars map? I uh, would not... Would not be bad. <laughs> that would be interesting to see Lego maps in general. Yeah, Legos would be cool, cool. I've um yeah I've played with a little bit of 3D mazes just in programming, um like CG stuff, but only a little bit, you know. But doing it all in Lego, it's like there's a couple pieces they would need to make it perfect. It's like if you design the step piece, you know, that matches my step pieces. Like if you made a step piece and a bridge piece, I'd love to build Legos. You know, it would be cool. Lego mazes. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So, um, you talked about watching Bad Batch. Are you current with the show? Yes. Yeah. It, excuse me. It just finished, right? Um, I think it still has two There's a couple episodes left. Well, there, there's a debate. There's a debate. Yeah. Is there two or four more episodes left? No one's sure. I, I thought they were done. Um, yeah, no. According to the producers, they said six. Uh, what episode? I saw the one where... How many episodes have they put out? Twelve? There'll be... I saw the second one four, where yeah. they're on the planet and they rescued um, that kid. Harris family, yeah. Yeah. That was, the, that was the last one I watched. Is that the current? Or is there one since that? Yeah. That's the current. That's the current. <sighs> okay. So, uh, you you interested in joining us and rehashing uh, the episode? Um, oh. I'll hang out and I'll probably not say a lot, but yeah. Well, if you, if you do say a lot, that's fine too. Okay. Um, so the episode starts off on uh, a Ryloth, which would make a great map itself. Yes, it would. Um, Admiral Rampart comes to visit the Sindulas in their cell, and he demands to know the location of their daughter, um, but the Sindulas refuse. And... Uh, Alini says, um, I've seen how you treat your in- your allies. I prefer to be your enemy. Pretty powerful. Yeah. You see a little bit of where Hera um, gets her gumption from. Yeah. I have to say, um, as, uh, as we know from our last episode, the last episode before this one was, I liked it, but it was not my favorite episode because it wasn't really a bad batch episode. Per se, but this episode definitely made up for that. This one was good. I, I think it was one of those. It was okay for there to be a non bad batch to kind of help set up um, this new arc, or if yeah. we want to call it an arc, because we we start off seeing well they're on the run from the empire. They kind of they they still kind of have a bounty on their head. They need money. 
So they start working for Sid. They're in debt to Sid because of a botched mission. Now it's almost like Sid owes them money after what Omega did for him with the Desharic table. And, and they're right back to, uh, as it's mentioned in this episode, mercenary status. When they said that, and I and I kept hearing the mention mercenary, you know, mention mercenary, and then rehashing what what I just rehashed. I'm like, the only thing missing is the big red stripe down either side of their ship, <laughs> and then we would have the A team because this is Star Wars A team. So uh, Rampart speaks. Now the A team song is stuck in my head. You're welcome. <laughs> Imagine uh, Kevin Kiner could do with it, though, to weave it in just a little bit. Yeah, oh, that'd be so <laughs> cool if it happened. Uh, Rampart speaks with Hauser, yeah. demanding that all sham sympathizers be found and arrested. Hauser gently protests, and Rampart doubles down, claiming that Sindola's forces attacked their transport and shot Senator Ta. Uh, Hauser says he was there, and it did not come from Sham or his fighters. Um and of course, this doesn't please Rampart. And, and I think for me, what this whole sequence is like, Rampart knew Hauser was there and was still had the cojones to go look at what they did at, with Hauser well, going. Did. It wasn't them, though. Yeah, but uh, you got to look at in general, the clones are unquestioning just automaton soldiers. Yeah. After Order 66, he's not expecting Hauser to actually be exerting some free will of his own. Yeah, so I was wondering about that. Is he is he was he going against the chip in his head or is it Yeah, but I thought the chip uh, in the I thought the chip in the head was cuz order 66 is the extermination of the Jedi. Right. So that was what I was wondering. Not nah. does that mean that after the Jedi are done that the chip doesn't necessarily control them anymore? I don't know. I was Maybe well, some of them. That's the thing with this show so far is um, they're expanding <clears throat> what we know of the clones after Order sixty six, and I think that right now they're basically right. writing the these questions we're having. They're writing the answers to as they go. Mm. Is what it looks like a little bit. I mean, I don't mind because they have the right people actually answering those questions. <laughs> right. It's not as bad as other places like we, we've seen every once in a while in Star Wars where. They get ahead. They get ahead of themselves, and then they're like, "Um, um, um, sure, we'll just write up an answer." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least they planned this out a little bit. Right. Okay. So, uh, according to Wikipedia, under this directive, talking about Order sixty six, any and all Jedi leadership must be ex- executed for treason against the Republic. Any soldier that does not comply with the order will also be executed for treason. And this is from the canon side. Mm. So, I mean, if the, the Jedi, if the Jedi are gone, I don't see how how it still affects anything else. Like, did the clones on that planet have to kill any Jedi? You know, well, if there's none there, or none that present themselves as Jedi, then they're not killed. So maybe they didn't have to make that decision. You know, maybe they, they maybe yeah. the ship didn't necessarily even have to work. They heard, right. heard they were to come through. We we're like, of course we'd do that, but they were never put to the test. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, now, there, according to Wikipedia, it also says in some instances, the clone could resist the will of the ship and hesitate from executing his orders. This act took great effort, and resistance could not be maintained unless the organic chip was removed. 
uh, which required which the guy with Rex. Rex. Right, which required external assistance in the case of Rex. Some clones were were immune to the order. Other such cases were extremely rare. Genetically defective clones had high probability of immunity due to the command, due to their mutations interfering with the performance of the inhibitor chip. So I think with that sentence definitely highlights um, the Bad Batch Clone Force 99. Uh, but who's to say they're not the only ones who were defective? Because, uh, right. you know, it, it's, as I said, you know, the generation thing. Um, look at the clones as if I'm going to age myself here. <laughs> All you younger listeners, there used to be this thing called video cassette and audio cassette, and it was tape. And the more times you made a copy of a tape, if you took the original copy, we'll call it the master copy, and you copied it, and then you made a copy off of that copy, and a copy off of that copy, each time you did, there was a generational loss. So if you get a a copy that's made from six copies, so it's the seventh generation, (laughs) and play it side by side with the master copy... It's not going to look as clean or as crisp because of the degeneration from the master to that point. So that's how you would get defective clones in this aspect. Because if they're cloning so much after off the, the master, you can have that degeneration as well because it's just been used so many times. And I know I really aged myself big time with that. Well, you get the same thing now if you're making copies of a copy on like a copier or a printer. Uh, the more copies you make of of a copy, you know what I mean? Yeah, but if you're making a copy off a map, if you're doing if 25 you're original, then yes. But every time you copy from the from the last copy, it gets worse. Well, yeah. So all of you who have scanners or or multi printers where it's a scanner and copier or whatnot. Take a picture or your favorite sketch, print it, put it in, copy. Take that printed copy, copy it again. So take it out, swap the page, and see how the the degeneration occurs over, say, 10 pages. And then get out another $100 to buy more ink. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, now they say, however, the chip remained a danger as long as it was still inside the clone's head, whether he was immune to the order or not. As outside factors such as head injuries could set it off. Hmm. Wrecker. Failure to comply. Walking head injury. True. Failure to comply with Order 66 was deemed an act of treason, and as such, any clone trooper who defied the order was also subject to execution. So I don't I don't see where it at this point in time with Hauser and his group where any of this comes into play. Well, that and also just being clones, they're bred to be loyal. Right. I think out of the millions and millions, if not billions of clones that were made, how few of them would do something like what Hauser's did. Right. Yeah. Most of them were blindly loyal with or without Order 66. They followed orders. That's what they do. Right. They were just intended to do that. Yeah. Good soldiers follow orders. Mm Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny, though, after all that you read, how – Crosshair is the exception to the rule. He's the one in five defective clones that actually worked on. Right. Yeah. And even and even then, he still has free will. Yeah. He 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 is the epitome of exception to the rule. 
I mean, he's following the orders, but he's also got the free will as well to know when to change the orders. So, uh, meanwhile, Hera spies on the Imperials and learns that Crosshair and the Elite Squad are looking for her. She tells Chopper they need to send a transmission. Bad Batch receives a message from Hera asking for help. Um, was I wrong, or did I hear Hera say, you're my only hope in the transmission? I don't remember that specifically, but it very I much feels like Leia's message to Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sean? What did you think about that message? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't remember saying it, but I would be surprised if we went back and listened to it. She actually says it. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, I haven't hit the trivia gallery on this yet, so I don't know. Maybe it says something in the trivia gallery. Um, so Hera meets the Bad Batch upon, upon landing, and they ask, and ask about freeing her parents. And Hunter says, let's see what we're up against first. We're not promising anything, essentially. Uh, Rampart addresses Ryloth people, claiming Cham Sindula and his followers were behind the assassination attempt. And that the, and that yeah, the senator is recovering well. Yeah, he, he's recovering about as well as a frozen bag of peas. Because that body's getting colder and colder. I know, bad analogy. <laughs> um. A bad badge watch from a distance and also learn that Crosshair is on the planet. And then suddenly Hunter hears something in the background. The probe droid. Though he destroys it, Hunter believes the Empire and Crosshair know that they're there, which is true. But that whole sequence was great. And again, this whole section, Sean, perfect map. Absolutely. With, yeah, with, that section was great. With, with that stakeout area to the... Um, to the no, the balcony and all that. Sure. Could easily make Castle, a great map. Rescue the parents. Yeah. You know, yeah, good stuff. Stake out nice little mountains to climb up and around. Yeah, it'd be perfect. That's a good one. See that? Best that's what, pitch. That's one of those steps, step mazes where you have to get to the cell. Yep. And then you have to get out without going the obvious way to the trap. Yeah, it'd be cool. Get to the, and then get to the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bad Badge retreats to their ship uh, with increased Imperial chatter and security. Hunter thinks it's too dangerous. Um, Harris storms off, and then Omega says she's just trying to save her family, and I would do the same for you. Talking about tugging at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're my family now. Yeah. Here, Hunter didn't think he had heartstrings. <laughs> at the Capitol, Hauser tells Rampart that they... If they continue rounding up peaceful citizens, they will incite an uprising. Um, but, of course, Imperials are Imperials. They don't care. Uh, Crosshair reports into Rampart, noting that the Bad Batch are on Ryloth. Rampart cares not. He orders Crosshair to stay on task and find Hera. I think this is when we realize Crosshair is still going to follow orders, but he knows he can't trust Rampart. Yeah. Because finding Hera could come after he eliminates the bigger threat to them, which is the Bad Batch. Uh, I'm wondering if also um, Rampart may be wonder, maybe uh, not wanting to put Crosshair in line with the Bad Batch, not knowing exactly if he would continue to stay the course or if he's going to turn on him. Well, right now it's been proven he, he's staying the course. So far. So far. Yeah. And there, and there has been some opportunity 
even at a distance where they could have talked him down and they never did. So uh, Omega catches up with Hera, promising that Hunter will come around. Uh, she suggests that they come up with a plan and pitch it to to Hunter. So they do. Uh, so Hauser visits the Sindulas in secret. He tells them he's trying to protect Hera. Uh, the Sindulas don't believe him. They've lost faith in him. They go, we trusted you. Uh, and Sham says, I won't make that mistake again. Some pretty low blows here. Uh, so Hera and Omega present their plan. Um, they won't attack the capital, but instead the oil refinery, diverting reinforcements. Again, another great map opportunity. That whole section, that that was pretty incredible as it was. Yeah, it was sweet. That would be good. All the gun emplacements and the ships and stuff. Refineries. And the way the way they almost laid it out is like you could almost lay the lay the initial map on top and just add to it because it's almost yeah. it's almost drawn for you to some extent. Um, they won't. Uh, so there are five auto cannons at the refinery, but Chopper could slide inside and disable them. Uh, so Hunter agrees to that. Hera and Omega arrive at the refinery. Chopper makes his way to the terminal, but can't access the cannons. Clone troopers quickly spot him and take the droid away. Well, when you leave, another astromech kind of smoking off to the side. Yeah, it's quite obvious that you don't belong there. <laughs> so Omega decides that they'll improvise and take the console offline with one of the Imperial shuttles. One of my favorite lines in the whole episode. You said you wanted to be a pilot, right? <laughs> um, after a less than graceful takeoff, Hera quickly gets the feel for the craft. Chopper seizes the opportunity to zap his clone escort, and Hera takes out the ground control center. Uh, Chopper then flies up to the shuttle's cargo bay, and Omega gives the all clear to the bed to the Bad Batch. Uh, flying the Marauder, Tech, and Wrecker blast the power the powerless cannons. Uh, as the alarm sound, an angry rampart tells Hauser to stay and guard the capital while he handles the attack. Uh, while this is happening, Hunter and Echo free the Sindulas, Gobi Glee, and others. And this is where uh, Gobi Glee is saying to Sham, uh, "These are the mercenaries that I was working with to get to get the guns, and apparently it was Hera that hired them to rescue them." Uh, as the elite squad readies for readies to go to the refinery, Crosshair stops them. That's not their target. He says, Howard Hauser watches from the shadows, though. Uh, one of the first times being in all being in shiny white armor, no matter what additional color is on, you were able to hide well in the shadows. Uh, acting on Crosshair's instinct, a small battalion waits outside the capital. Crosshair, meanwhile, sits perched at a high vantage point with his sniper rifle at hand. Hunter and Echo lead the prisoners to the blast doors, but Hauser stops them. You're walking into a trap. Uh, the clone trooper says he's on their side. Uh, the Sindulas, Gobi, and the others will leave on the Senator's shuttle from a secret hangar above. Uh, he promises to re- Sham promises to return and continue the fight, but Hauser will not abandon his squad. Uh, when the capital blast doors open, only Hauser emerges. He addresses his brothers. We're now being ordered to target the very people we swore to protect, and I will not be a part of it any longer. Uh, throwing down his weapon, he goes, who will stand with me? One by one, the clones drop their blasters. Crosshauer, however, orders them all arrested. Suddenly, a shuttle escapes from high above the capital tower. Crosshair opens fire. 
but to no avail. At the rendezvous, Eleni offers payment to Hunter, but he declines to keep it. He says, you need it. These occupations are happening on other planets besides Ryloth. So in many ways, we're starting to see that spark of rebellion start now. Mm-hmm. So quick. All Her- the, well, what it is is all the little individual groups that had no connection with the rest. Right. Hera and Omega say their goodbyes. Thanks for believing in me, Hera tells Omega. And then back at the refinery, Rampart surveys the wreckage before Crosshair joins them. It would seem I underestimated your four friends, he says, granting the sharpshooter permission to hunt down the Bad Batch. Sounds like if you just listen to him to begin with. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to the clones that got arrested? I'm thinking war camps. I think they will be recycled. Remember, anybody who doesn't follow orders is a treason. Well, that was just Order 66, right? Yeah. That was just Order 66. Maybe there's some reprogramming here. Yeah, possibly. That's what I was wondering. So, uh, what were y'all's thoughts on the episode? Uh, I thought it was really good. I really liked it. Yeah, this is where the last episode should have been. Yeah. And uh, the way it ended there with the crosshair and everything, I was like, oh, boy. Now we're really getting into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be be interesting to see what comes up next. Mm-hmm. Now, what else is interesting? Uh, we talked about Legos earlier. Did y'all see the Lego Advent calendar for this year? Uh-uh. No. Sean, you may want to unmute for this one because we want to hear your excitement. Oh, I, I, I have not seen it. Let's see it. It is on StarWars.com. I'm going to drop this okay. in the chat for you guys. The direct link. This year's ah, I got it here anyway. This year's theme, Mandalorian. Oh, look at that. Oh, I like nice. that. That's really nice. Oh, Merry Christmas to me. That's I, pretty sweet. I see two of these being ordered in this household. Mm-hmm. I know Zoe's gonna be getting uh so sweet. Harry Potter as well. But yeah, I'm really I really like this one. Uh, obviously, we see IG-11. We see a remnant biker scout. We see a remnant stormtrooper. We see Mando wearing a scarf. That's cool. Baby Yoda wearing a little little red the, suit there. The Santa Baby Yoda. Yeah. It's the Santa figure. Sand person there. Oh, yeah, this is sweet. I love the, I love the look of this web gun, the web cannon. Oh, look at the little, the little oh, razor yeah. crest. Oh, that is so cool. All right. I am so Gideon, Gideon's Star Destroyer or Light Cruiser. Uh, the TIE Fighter um, looks like an, the uh, Dr. Needles interrogator droid. Um, there's an X-Wing. Uh, looks like a not only a, a speeder bike, but a which is one of the larger sets I've seen in a Star Wars kit. Um, but uh, another mini speeder of some sort. In the background, in the second picture, and the palm. The fact that they have the palm. This is so cool. Yeah. It's uh, scaled to minifig size. Yeah, it's scaled for the Baby Yoda, or for Grogu. Yeah, Grogu. That's cool. That's right. Um, so, according to this, mm-hmm. there are seven Lego minifigures packed in the set. Mandalorian and Grogu, in uh, wintery scarf and holiday sweater, respectively. Scout Trooper, Stormtrooper, Tusken Raider, IG-11, ITO interrogator droid. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Which is cool. I mean, I like the interrogator droid. Wait a minute. You just catch that? 
what type of droid that is? Interrogator droid. IT, the, no, the ITO droid, just like in the Alphabet Squadron books. Edo? Yeah, they have the, um, remember the her counselor, quote unquote, is actually a reformed interrogator droid? Yeah. Well, and that's what we see in, uh, in Star Wars New Hope as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be cool to see that and have the build with the little you know, clear stand for it to, to float in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they will also find many, you'll find many ships such as the Razor Crest, uh, Riot Mars Starfighter, Imperial Troop Transport. Really? A troop Transport? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That uh, if you go to the next picture with the with the kid. It's right there, blurred out in the front, in the foreground on the left. Ah. Which, okay. Oh, yeah, it's the ground transport, the newer one. Yeah. Um, an X-Wing, a TIE fighter, Imperial light cruiser, Boba Fett ship, starship. Now, Slave 1. Sorry, we see the Slave 1. Um, and Grogu's hover pram. Other mini builds include an E-Web heavy blaster, uh, snow launcher, uh, take off that stud blaster and you still have just the E-Web, which is fine by me. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of the stud launchers. I'm just not. Um, it adds interactivity Yeah. after you've already built it. Training targets, Tusken Raiders weapon rack and a snow launcher, Imperial weapon rack, a Mandalorian weapon rack. Um, they don't, but they picture here a snow or a, uh, Speeder bike, but there's no no mention of the speeder bike in this. But that's a shame. And they picture the speeder bike, but there's no mention of the speeder bike. Hmm. So is it or is it not in the set? It may be one of those alternative builds you can build that's not officially part of the set. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah, I, and with this article on StarWars.com, you, they chat with uh, Jason Zapintis, who was the designer on this year's advent calendar. So check that out. Cool. Um, any any final thoughts or actually actually I say did you see the um two articles up from that on StarWars.com the new Black Series collection coming out no based on no. the two D Clone Wars oh yeah yeah I saw no do tell uh, on StarWars.com it's like the second or third article down under news they just announced the new um Black Series and Vintage Collection figures to celebrate the Star Wars two D micro series the Tartakovsky series. <laughs> They got um, what's coming out. We have Ala Secura, and the cards actually they're on the Lucasfilm 50th anniversary card, but the artwork it's the um, vintage card, but the artwork is from the 2D series. Ala Secura. This is the vintage collection. Yeah. That you're reading off right now. Yeah. Luminar and Dooley, Ferris Offy, and then you get a um, Arc Trooper, uh, two different Arc Troopers, a blue and a red, and then the Battle Droid from the Tartakovsky series. Well, so the, got the dark reds. The red is the arc trooper cat, captain. Okay, yes. And then the blue is just a regular Based arc trooper. It's cool because it's like you the, you tell the inspiration is from the micro series, but the figures fit in with the regular collections. It's not they don't have like the yeah. stylized artwork series had. But these are almost stylized as the original uh, micro series figures were. Ma- almost, maybe, but it still fit right in with what they currently are running. Yeah, maybe it's the maybe it's the helmet. Because if you look at the three Jedi, the Luminara, Barris, and um, Ayla, they look like just the standard Jedi figures. Right. They, I believe these are actual uh, repaints of those figures, but with, the soft, but with the soft goods, whereas the clones. Yeah, they are like softer lines and stuff. They, curves. 
the helmets look so much like the helmets from the, the actual micro series line. I mean, they've got that anime vibe to them, the Tchaikovsky vibe to them. Whereas the the rest of the body is your standard stormtrooper, not the not the anime look. And battle droid, well, it's a battle droid. Yeah, it's a little it's a darker <laughs> color, like I said, to match up with the series. Now they are doing black series with these as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the black series, you're going to get uh, the Arc Trooper, Mace Windu, and um, General Grievous. The Arc Troopers, I would that could be high on my list. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because the black series being so much more detailed, it'll be cool to see what they do with those. Yeah, yeah. Will they lean more into the Tartakovsky art style, or are they going to lean more towards the ultra-realistic that they've usually tried right. to go with with the Black Series? you do any collecting, Sean, outside of uh, reference books for, for different projects? Uh, no, I do get the art books, and uh, like I said, I pick up some of the comics, but uh, as for the stuff, well, uh, no. No, I have a bunch of the old Lego stuff, but no, I'm not a, I'm not a regular collector. But I like looking at it. Every time it comes off of my feet, I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. But I, I have enough other uh, little collecting projects going on that I can't. I can't. That seems like a, <laughs> uh, it's it's a, a big thing. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm looking yeah, around my collection, like and I, I'm getting ready to tweak. I, I, I'm slowly tweaking some things and figuring out how I'm going to redisplay quite a bit of it. You have no idea how much stuff I have in this room right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we usually don't do this on this show. Uh, Derek and I have done it over on Weeby Geeks. Uh, Sean, you want to flip the tables and ask us any questions? Oh, all right. Give me a second to think about that. Um, see. Well, like I said, I listened to some of your interview shows. Uh, how often do you get to do those? Those seem like really neat when you get to meet other creators and, you know, that's that's kind of the in-depth stuff that I, I find really fascinating. Who all of you uh, talk to? Who you like the best? <laughs> um, Not that you have to pick favorites. I just realized how that came off. You know? no, but I was just curious, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I think whoever we like, for me, whoever I like best is who I'm currently interviewing so currently it's it's you uh each interview brings its own thing and its own memories um unfortunately because of uh location and time zone different major time zone differences um i was the only one who ended up interviewing kevin scott um because these uh ken and derek were at work Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin was great. I, I absolutely love that. And I'm usually don't do an interview by myself. Usually I have these two with me. So I felt odd doing it, but it still ended up being a, a really fun interview. Um, and he definitely confirmed that, yes, I needed to somehow get a Jackson Black Series figure and... I got it for Father's Day. So oh, good. Nice. That, that came about. Um, Claudia has been great. Uh, Beth Rivas was great. Um, Sarah Kuhn, who did the Dr. Afro audiobook, uh, we had on Mighty Marvel Geeks, but we had the director. Oh, that one up. 
Mm-hmm. We have the director here. Is that right, guys? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I think we have the director here. Um, Dude? Yeah, I'm I'm behind again on the guest list pages, too. Now, are, are you guys all in the same spot, or do you always do it like this, all coming from different spots? Or you like, you know, do you ever do it all in the same room? Mm-hmm. We have. We have never been. This is as close to the same room as we have ever gotten. Uh, I'm in Florida. Uh, Derek's in Massachusetts, and Ken's in Ohio. Oh wow! Okay. So we have aspirations of a get together somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've never actually met face to face. Of all of all my co current co-host i've only met one face-to-face and that's eric from mighty marvel geeks mm-hmm. so um i guess going back to the guest question ken derek favorite guest or same response i gave yeah pretty much since um everything's a totally different vibe every time you have someone on because you never know where you're going to get to and some of the um so the most fun I have is um, when we have just the little ideas where we go on a little tangent of um, like when I gave you the idea of the Coruscant being all linked together. We work with the, um, someone and just run ideas like that. It's always a blast. I see when you met, where things can go. When you mentioned when you mentioned that, I was almost thinking it start. Yeah, you know, it could start off outside. Then you had the cutaway to the interior, back to the outside type aspects, see that whole thing. I think that could be just as fun and just as intriguing where part of the maze goes inside of a building and it's on the same, on that same page. Yeah. I mean, like going on the surface and going underground, you know, we're doing cutaways. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that could be really cool. Or even you have one or two pages in there that has like four or five mazes in it because there's small little sections of like a core of three or four corridors that are all twisted together. Right. So yeah. okay, from this page, you came into here, you go out to here and now go to that page over there. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to admit, I mean, they're, they're a little smaller, but after I got the book, I love the artwork so much when I went to see on Amazon. Now, if I remember right, we haven't talked about this. The book comes out. On the 27th, right? 27th, yes. So right around the corner now. So go to Amazon, pre-order. It's worth, when this records, the book is like a day or two, or as we drop this uh, here in the next few days, well, for us, the next few days, book's right there. It's this coming Tuesday. Uh, we're recording on the 21st, uh, 27th. But Amazon has you know some of the blow-ups of your, or the, the full images of your maps. Just so I could draw in pencil, I printed off those pages so I could not ruin the book because <laughs> I don't want to ruin the book. I mean, the art's so so fabulous, and, and I think when I oh, when I showed the guys this to begin with, I'm like, I almost want to get a second book just so I could mark it up. We well, encourage you to do that too. But, so uh, yeah, like I said, I, I love playing in them and just. <laughs> Doing them again and again. A lot of folks photocopy them. They want to do that. You know, it's a good thing to do. Or um, they so, have just uh, using like a little pointer or something. So don't buy two. Don't buy one copy. Buy two copies. That way you have one to keep the nice artwork look because the artwork is just gorgeous as is. And then one where take a very lightweight pencil. That way it's easy to erase. You can still see it, but you can do the maps when you're done. Go back with a nice gum eraser, erase it, and be able to do it again. 
so. I say you would get two. This is a book you get two of. So, um, any other questions? Any final thoughts? Uh, nope. On your website, you actually had uh, multiple places to buy the book. Do you have any preferred places that um, for people to pick up the book at, or just anywhere that it's available? Anywhere it's available. I always encourage folks to shop local. So if you have a local bookstore, uh, go see if they have it. If they don't have it, say you should get it. They'll usually order it for you. Uh, bookshop.org is a great place to order books because uh, they support local indie shops and uh, a lot of local stores will actually use that as their web interface. So bookshop.org is, is I encourage you to, they're also uh, the 27th for them as well. So it's a good place to go. And the other one, how can people find you? Uh, SeanCJackson.com. And if you go, that's my website, you go there uh, and then it has links to my Instagram and the other places I hang out. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's been about, it's been really great. I, I'm going to go with the dad joke, guys. Sorry. It's been an um, amazing time. I love that joke. <laughs> yeah, we get this all the time. <laughs> hey, it's what I get for being a dad. Uh, I'm a dad. I, I get that joke. Um, my final thought, behind the attractions on Disney Plus has dropped. And episode three is Star Tours, and they also touch on Galaxy's Edge with the Falcon Ride and Rise of Resistance as well. I encourage you guys to check it out. Great episode so far. Um, first three that I've that I've watched. I'm almost through with Haunted with uh, Jungle Cruise, which is episode one. Obviously, because Dwayne Johnson's part of it is one of the executive producers, along with uh, Brian Volkweiss, who we've had here on the show, and we're having on uh, this Friday uh, We Be Geeks for the third time. Um, and then uh, Danny Garcia, who is The Rock's ex-wife, is also one of the executive producers. So it starts with uh, Jungle Cruise, goes Haunted Mansion, Star Tours, and then I don't remember after that, because I just haven't gotten that far yet. But it's a great show, great series. Um, check it out. And, of course, Bad Batch on Friday. And uh, if there's nothing else, we're just going to say there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jinx, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. <laughs> you must use the information in this R2 unit to help plan the attack. It's our only hope.